Hockey Mountain High, your go-to Avalanche podcast, presented by Superbook Sports and Total Beverage in Thornton and Westminster. JJ Jerez here, Arif Dean here to break down some Avalanche hockey. Of course, Avalanche going to Pittsburgh back from the All-Star break, lose in overtime fashion, Arif. However, I don't know if you had the chance to hear Coach Bednar's uh, post-game presser. There was a sentence there that really stood out to me that I feel like isn't necessarily a sentence you normally hear from Jared Bednar, and that's, we're going to take the point and move on, right? Normally he kind of is like, oh, yeah, it's disappointing for the loss. Um, but he was he was satisfied with the way his team played. And I, I, I kind of liked hearing that from him. Not going to dwell on the loss, not going to be too pouty about it. Just take the point, move on. I know I made a joke uh, last week about the fact that I think the Avalanche are going to lose that first game when they're fully healthy. Well, they're not fully healthy yet. They're still missing Josh Manson, who should be back soon. They're still missing Landis and Helm, which has been pretty much all season. Uh, but you kind of got the sense that they got Nachushkin, they got Bo Byram. They're playing only one defenseman out of their top six. Uh, one, one defenseman who's not in their top six and Brad Hunt. They have added Matt Nieto. They finally started to have some kind of a resemblance of a good line. Granted, it was 11 forward, 7D. And there was something there. They played well. They generated a lot. You saw some chemistry there. You know, you probably don't want Malgin as a starter. Uh, you probably want a 12th forward. But basically what I'm trying to get at is they got closer to what that lineup is going to look like for the playoffs. And they played so well where, yeah, this was the first game. I, I don't know if you heard Nathan McKinnon after the game as well. But he mentioned how when he came back from injury, it took a few games to get adjusted. And that's just the reality. Nichushkin didn't have his best showing. But you saw signs there of him being Nichushkin. Bo Byram, you know, 21 minutes, 29 seconds. Um, he had an assist. He was all over the ice. Nathan McKinnon obviously played well, hit the post twice. They had that power play with chances. And, you know, their goalie had a night, as McKinnon put it. So there's not much reason to dwell on that game because a month and a half ago, you have a performance like that. And I tweeted, you don't want to waste performances like that on one point. And yes, that's true. But a month and a half ago, when you have half a lineup and you have all these injured guys, you cannot by any means waste a performance like that. But now knowing that you're healthy, now knowing that you're playing this well, knowing that you are 7-1-1 in your last nine, and it's going to get better from here probably, it's okay to come away with one point because if you play the way you played against Pittsburgh over the next five games, you will collect four wins, maybe even five. Yeah, touch on uh, Bo and Val. You know, I think they, they just bring a presence that you miss and need in your lineup, right? I mean, you know, it's, it's hockey. It's a there's 20 guys out there uh, that could potentially make a difference in the game, but it's wild how having a guy like Val Nachushkin back suddenly, you know, your four check is a lot stronger. Your play through the neutral zone, getting back into the D zone is a lot stronger, cre creating a lot more chaos for the opponent. You know, having Bowen Byram's presence on the ice, he definitely made a difference, I think. And, and for his um, companion defensive partners, depending on who he was out there with, you could tell there was a lot more confidence in, in their willingness to skate it up a lot more uh confidence to go d to d i just you know just having those two guys present in the lineup despite and i know bo added an assist which was a great assist by the way we'll get into that assist in a second but you mentioned how val didn't really make too much noise i think just simply having those bodies in the lineup at the skill sets that they bring are just irreplaceable because they're exactly that they're skill sets that you don't really have anywhere else in the lineup and when they are back in in uh with with the rest of the team everything's going really great yeah, absolutely. And and 
to touch on Val first, the Avalanche changed it up a little bit. They put Rodriguez on the second line. They put Val up there with Nathan McKinnon, I believe. Uh, and there's a reason why they did that. You know that this guy is a lot more important to this team than, you know, even people that have been watching the Avalanche, even fans, even media. We've been watching this team for three, four years, and we still really – I still genuinely feel, despite all the – all the talk and all the hoopla of Val Nachushka in the last two, three years, we still don't value enough of what this guy means to the team. So to put him up there with Nathan McKinnon allows Nathan McKinnon to be who he was yesterday. Allows him the opportunity to score a goal, have eight shots on goal, another 11 shot attempts, uh, be all over the ice and hit the post twice, I think. Mm-hmm. like He was all over the ice because... You're playing with someone like Val Nichushkin on the wing. Obviously, Arturi Lekinen on the other wing who had to leave the game for a little bit there. Uh, because you're playing with guys like that, that have that two-way game, that have the ability to retrieve the puck, it gives you the ability to be who you can be, which is Nathan McKinnon, the all-star that we know and love. Val's just such a big part of this team. I love him on that line. Obviously, we've talked about this for the last 9, 10, 11 months the Avalanche can basically have a first-line center and McKinnon, a second-line center, and anybody else. Ranton and Landeskog, Lekin and Shushkin on the wing. You can take those four wingers and kind of pair them up in any way you like with the two centers, and it'll work. We've seen it over the last few years. Lekin and Nichushkin works. Lekin and Landeskog works. Lekin and Ranton works. Nichushkin, Landeskog works. Like There are so many combinations you can go with. But right now, without Landeskog, to have Nichushkin and to have Lekin in with Nathan McKinnon, I think was the was the right move. Yeah, and let's go back to that Nathan McKinnon goal, right? It was on four on four play, and Bowen Byram gets the assist. Sam Gerard gets the other one. Um, but it's kind of Bowen Byram and Sam Gerard, they they kind of it almost looked like a designed play. And I know I don't think it was after watching the replay. It just kind of looked like Sam Gerard and Bowen Byram just being aggressive. But they, they both kind of sneak in from the blue line and yep. bring their defenders in with them, which created a ton of space for Nathan McKinnon to swing in high and, and ultimately find that that shot that he uh, scored on. So, um, yeah, I mean, you mentioned Val Nachushkin's presence on the ice, creating more space, allowing Nathan McKinnon to be himself. Bowen Byram did the same thing. The fact that when Byram and Gerard sneak in kind of to between the hash marks or around the faceoff circle, mm-hmm or the face-off dot, I should say. The fact that when they do that, McKinnon comes around, he's still at a like above the circle. He hasn't even surpassed the circle into that zone b- beneath between the blue line and the circles. And he's the guy that's high. He's the highest man in the zone. It, it created a decoy. Like He was able to get in a wrist shot, and he was the last man back for the Avalanche. Because of the way that Byron and Gerard get in there, they kind of serve as a decoy. Is he going to play the D? Is he going to play the pass? Just an excellent play. And, and As long you as know, he hit the net, right? Yes, yes, of course. Yeah, <laughs> he misses absolutely. the net. And the, he the misses the net, yeah. Then, then Nathan McKinnon's last man back and Gerard and Byron are using their speed to try to get back as well. The biggest thing for me with these guys is with – or, or not with these guys, but with Sam Gerard, what I what I love to see about the way he played yesterday is you can tell that this is a guy that when you pair him with other talent like Bo, like Kale, like Devon, he's going to be the guy that you know two years ago was a top two, top three defenseman on this team. So even bringing Byron back, letting him do his thing, allows Nathan McKinnon to be who he was, just like Val Nachushkin. It also elevates Sam Gerard because, look, I mean. Right before the break, Byram still wasn't here, and Kill McCarr had missed those four games, Calgary, Seattle, Vancouver, etc. When that was happening, it was Devon Taves was your top guy. 
Sam Gerrard was your second best guy. Your third most valuable defenseman was Eric Johnson. The Avalanche aren't even fully healthy yet on defense. They're still missing a 20-minute man in Josh Manson. And Eric Johnson played 13 minutes and 33 seconds in a game that went to overtime. So that should tell you all you need to know about where Johnson is, which, you know, that's it's no surprise. He's the sixth best defenseman on this team. He's on the last leg of his career. He's not the guy he was 10 years ago, and that's okay. He's older. He's been around for a very long freaking time. He was drafted in 2006. So to not only have Kale McCarr back and healthy, but to have Bowen Byram back gives Sam Gerrard a guaranteed opportunity to play with one of those two guys, with Kale, with Bowen, with Devon. Uh, obviously he's a left-handed D so he would be either playing with Bo or, or sorry, he's a righty. So he would either be playing with Devon or with Kit or with Bo because kills the other righty Oof, struggling there. Uh, it gives him the opportunity to play with another talented defenseman. It gives him the opportunity to elevate his game. Having Byron back gives Gerard the opportunity to be better, gives McKinnon the opportunity to be better. Again, it goes back to the Jared Bednar quote. It's hard to really sulk on this one because you saw something out of this team on Tuesday night that you haven't seen in months, and that's a lot more talent in the lineup. Not needing to grind out a victory, but rather use your talent to be in a game. Obviously, they weren't able to use that talent to win it in the end, unfortunately, in overtime, but they're right there. Yeah, indeed. I, I enjoyed watching how aggressive Bowen Byron was already getting, feeling comfortable, like he never really missed a step, and, and it didn't really seem like he was really too rusty at all. Um, So excited to see how he continues to grow and develop. I want to look at the game itself, right, because it was kind of the tale of two different games. The Avalanche really dominated early, like McKinnon said, their goalie had a night. Um, and then it kind of turned into the Avalanche really just hanging on to make it to overtime there, right? You even felt there in the third period late that maybe Pittsburgh was going to uh, get that second goal and walk away with a 2-1 victory. So Avalanche may be a little blessed to get it to overtime. So again, not exactly the full 60. I wouldn't say it's, you know, like we've seen it in the past where they literally kind of stopped playing. It just, the, 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 the momentum shifted. And, yeah. um, but I think what you saw here was the Avalanche able to handle it well. And, you know, the third periods haven't been amazing from the Avalanche, but it didn't cost them extremely this time around. Yeah, I mean, in the end, the goal that Pittsburgh scored in regulation there was just goofy. It was a goofy goal. It was an unfortunate missed attempt at a poke check that leads to obviously a broken play. It happens. Uh, I don't want to really pin it too much on Pavel Francouz. I know somebody asked me a question that I'm going to do on the AMA later on of why did Frankie start coming out of the break? Um, I don't think they implied that Frankie had a tough night, but it's, you know, he was fine is basically what I'm trying to say. I don't want to blame him too much for that. It, it is what it is, but it, uh, the unfortunate reality is that the avalanche didn't have their best first period or third period effort. And I know when you're leading going into the third, you're going to kind of struggle a little bit. The other team's going to have their foot on the pedal, especially a team like the Pens that has those Malkins and Crosby's and Latang, which by the way, the three older guys on the team, the three guys that have been around for 17 years, and they were the ones that paired up for the overtime winner, Latang from Crosby and Malkin. So you know that they're going to come out strong, but this has been a little bit of a theme for the Avalanche here. They've, you know, had the, I don't know if you remember years ago, the Avalanche used to be that team that like had that stat where it's, you know, when they're leading after 40 minutes, they're 29 and 0 and 0 or 33 and 0 and 0. And then they lose one in overtime and they're like, oh, they're only 33 0 and 1. It's like, They've lost a lot of games this year that they were leading after 40 minutes. I know the NHL has kind of shifted uh, to a point where now 
two goal leads, even three goal leads, sometimes even four goal leads are not safe. So obviously everybody's going to kind of struggle in that sense. Uh, no game is over anymore, but you are seeing a theme here. And that's probably the one thing that you can take away from not only this game, but the last week or two or three of avalanche hockey before the break, it's that they've just had those issues in the third period. And if that continues, then, you know, it's going to hurt them a little bit more. Indeed. You know what I just realized there? I don't think my microphone's plugged in. I think I've been talking through my computer this whole time. Oh, well, you sound great to me. So, <laughs> yeah, well, I guess if it works, it works. Um, <clears throat> yeah, let's get into the goalies a little bit then, um, since you did bring it up. I mean, yeah, like you said, I think Francu's goal, you know, it's, it's a fluke goal, just trying to be aggressive, trying to play um, the puck accordingly. You know, I had a question on Twitter asking if we, I've seen Francu's being more aggressive lately, and I don't necessarily think so. I think definitely um, that's just kind of his style. He's a smaller goalie. His re reactions are insane. And so I think he just plays a little bit more aggressively to kind of, uh, you know, play to those strengths that he has. But we know Bednar likes to ride hot. And he said that coming in coming out of the break that, you know, he, he likes wants to see some balance. He likes to go with the hot goalie, but he also wants to go with the rested goalies. So, I mean, Francouz only gave up one goal. Yeah. Does that qualify him as hot? Or do you think you jump to uh, Georgiev for the two Florida matches uh, coming up here? So he technically gave up two goals obviously one goal in regulation yeah 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 true um but so when we were going into this break i was kind of trying to figure out how they were or we were coming out of the break i was trying to figure out how they were going to kind of deploy their goaltending over the next three games in my opinion it was going to be one game for frankie and two for georgie so i figured maybe you know ride your starter coming out of the break so do georgie pittsburgh georgie tampa because that's the big game dip it down against Florida to Frankie to kind of wind down the road trip. Or then I thought maybe Frankie gets Tampa and Georgie gets the other two around. Um, but I think ultimately what Bednar decided was Florida's the hotter team right now between Florida and Pittsburgh, I should say. So instead of Georgiev getting Tampa and Pittsburgh, he's going to sit him for the first game and give him Tampa, Florida. And I think that's what's going to end up happening. Um, I know he did say last week at practice how he wants to ride or the other day at practice, how he wants to ride the hot hand and all that. But I think coming out of the break, when you have a three-game road trip, the goalie that you suspect is your starter is the guy that should get two of the three starts. Granted, if you, you know, you can adjust on the fly, and that's the reality. Like, nothing is set in stone. If you go into Tampa Bay, you outshoot the Lightning 49-18, to 18, and you lose 5-4, you score five goals on 49 shots, but for whatever reason, Gorgie just lays an egg and lets in four goals on 18 or five goals on 18 or whatever, like you might decide, you know what, we're just going to go with Frankie against Florida. Um, but ultimately, I think what's going to happen is this was all planned. They're going to go with Francis against the weaker of the three teams, which is Pittsburgh right now in the standings. And then against the Tampa Bay Lightning, the reigning defending Stanley Cup final appearance of three years in a row or whatever the hell it is. <laughs> I said that wrong. Uh, you're going to go with Georgie. And then against the Florida Panthers, who have just been on a heater lately, 6-2-2 two two in their last 10. They just beat the Lightning, I believe, 7-1. You're going to go with Georgie again. 7-1 on Monday, and then the Lightning go and lose to the Sharks last night, 4-3 in overtime. The San Jose Sharks era. So I think uh, Tampa Bay might be a little bit weak right now. A good chance to kick them while you're down, get your give in there, and you know, really make a statement. Of course, you know, when they have to play Brian Elliott, I think you can give them a little bit of slack. So I'm sure we'll see Andre Vasilevsky for this one. Yep. Um, but yeah, you, you they lose also, to the Sharks, you lose 7-1 to the Panthers. I mean, they're not riding high right now. Yeah, no, they also had a 3-1 uh, to one lead against the Sharks there. So right. 
going back to the point, not that they led entering the third period because they did get, uh, they did surrender that game or actually, no, they did lead entering the third period. They were up three to two. Timo Meyer scored at 16, 23 of the second period to make it a one goal game. And then it was tied by Gadjevich in the third. And then Timo Meyer wanted an overtime. So yeah, pretty much what happened to the avalanche last night, except it happened against the sharks. It's not a team you want to lose to, uh, and obviously, like you said, Brian Elliott was in goal. They outshot the Sharks 37-22, but they just couldn't get a save when they needed it. But that doesn't, you know, that that doesn't excuse the fact that you lost the game. You were up three to one against San Jose after losing seven to one of Florida. So you see it as they're weak, kick them while they're down. I see it as they're gonna get in the locker room. John Cooper's gonna say enough is enough. It's time to turn this thing around, or they're gonna come out flying on Thursday. Yeah, you just you mess with my puck line that I had like that. I'm gonna come <laughs> out and insult you on my podcast. The next Damn day. right. <laughs> um, last thing I want to get to on the goalies, it just feels like, um, you know, t- tell me if you get the same feeling. Francis has had a lot of really good games this year, um, a lot of low scoring games. He's he hasn't given up too many goals, but he really seems to let up that goal late, especially if there's a shutout hanging in the winds. <sighs> he typically, you know, in the last ten minutes or so, lets one squeak by. Yeah, uh, we've noticed it here and there. Again, it's it's a whole team effort when it comes to things like that. Um, it's it's what the Avalanche have been doing in the third period. So we just talked about all those numbers about how they how they've been playing. Uh, here's a fun stat for you: the only team in the NHL, and this is going somewhere, that has a completely one hundred percent winning percentage when leading after the second period. Do you know who it is? Repeat that. I was too busy laughing at. It. <laughs> The only team in the NHL that has won every single game where they've led entering the third period. Do you know who it is? Uh, is it the Bruins? It's actually on the other side of the standing. It's the Columbus Blue Jackets because they've only led entering the third seven times. So pretty bad number there. But that that tells you all you need to know. The Winnipeg Jets are second in the NHL with a 957 win percentage. Same for the Devils. They've won 22 games out of 23 where they've led entering the third. You have teams like Tampa Bay. They've they've only entered the third leading 20 times out of 50 games. They've won 17 of them. 17, 1, and 2. The Calgary Flames, 21, 1, and 3. The Nashville Predators, 15, 1, and 2. The Edmonton Oilers, 19, 1, and 3. You go all the way down to 24th in the NHL. The Avalanche are 23 and two, and they have an 800 points percentage when they enter the third period or 800 win percentage when they enter the third period of the league. So this has kind of become something that, that they're doing. The only playoff teams below them or teams that you expect to be in the playoffs that have a worse winning percentage when entering the third period with a lead are potentially the Washington Capitals, potentially they make the playoffs, I should say, the New York Rangers and the Pittsburgh Penguins. So those are the three teams. Everybody else who's in the playoffs, who's expected to make the playoffs, who's one of the better teams in the NHL, has a better winning percentage than that. So again, it goes back to that common theme. The Avalanche have been giving up a lot of games. It just so happens Pavel Francouz is playing goal for most of those, but I don't want to blame him as much as I want to say it's a full team issue. He's part of it. And I hate to sound like Jared Bednar when I say that, but that's the reality. When you're getting outshot 18 to 10 and your goalie is standing on his head for 16, 17 minutes, he's eventually going to go for that post check. That's going to lead to a broken play and a goal, at, you know, on your own net. So I don't want to blame him for that. At the same time, I do think it would, it would have been nice for him to get the shutout yesterday, but he, he needed some help there late and he wasn't getting it. Yeah, the, the glass half full outlook is, you know, Pavel Francis is having a really low goals against average right now. And I think you could also. It's credit, been all season. 
Yeah, and you can credit the uh, Avalanche defense too a little bit. I, I saw it again, especially early in that first half of the game yesterday, you know, just really suppressing the dangerous shots. I think a lot of the shots that the Penguins were uh, finding were all on the perimeter and not very dangerous. So, um, you know, glass half full, credit to the D and, and to Pavel Francis for keeping those goals against low. Yeah, his career save percentage is 920. He has a 919 this year, and he's 7-7-1. So he hasn't gotten much help. That's that's the reality. I've got a couple more stats I want to get into, but we're going to give everybody a break, especially if, you know, numbers, you start to hear numbers and your brain shuts off. So real quick, we'll talk about Total Beverage. Everybody knows Total Beverage in Westminster and Thornton, right? Sure, Total Beverage has an incredible selection of beer, wine, and spirits. But did you know they deliver? Did you know they have curbside pickup available? And did you know they do online wine education classes? If not, it's time to get to know Total Beverage again. Stop by on 104th in Thornton or on Sheridan in Westminster and see for yourself. Or you can always find weekly deals, events, and even drink recipes online at TotalBev.com. Total Beverage, everything you need and more. Arif, there have been 12 NHL games played since the All-Star break. Nine of those 12 games scored five goals or more throughout that game. So that left three that scored five goals or less. Two of those were the New York Islanders. No surprise there. That other one, one. the Avalanche and the Pittsburgh Penguins. And then I look at the Avalanche, you know, that makes me start to think, are the Avalanche suddenly the New York Islanders of the West? No, not quite yet. But the Avalanche are 20th in the league in goals four per game. And if you look at the uh, Islanders, they're just a a bit low. They're about 25th. So um, just an interesting thought. You know, you and I talked earlier in the season how goals seem to be hard to come by. And it just seems to not just be a trend, but maybe just what they're working with this season. It's it's what they're working with because of their injuries. I mean, I I hate to say that that's the excuse, but that's the reality. Miko Rantanen has 34 goals in 49 games. Nathan McKinnon's on pace for 30 goals again in 82 games. Obviously, he's a guy that usually puts up the assists. 41 assists in 38 games, leads the NHL in assists per game. Kale McCarr, point per game, 13 goals. Arturi Lekkinen, career high, 15 goals in, well, career high pace, 15 goals in 49 games, in 46 games. JT Comfer, already at 10 goals. Evan Rodriguez, already at 11 in less than 41 games. Alex Newhook, already at 12 goals. You get the idea. The fact is their top guys are scoring, but here is where it dips. Valeri Nichushkin out of 49 games has only played in 21. Gabe Landeskog out of 49 games has only played in zero. So you bring in Gabe, you bring in Val, you're missing about, what, 25 goals there between the 60 games they've missed, if not more, maybe 30. Val, Gabe himself could have 25. So the fact is... They've had a lot of injuries. They've had a lot of guys miss, and they've had stretches of this season. Specifically, I want to say it's like mid-November to mid-January where they had to rely on grinded out two-to-one victories. Hell, when the Islanders were in town, they won a one-nothing game in the shootout. Like those are the and coincidentally against the Islanders of all teams, because the Islanders are like, oh hell yeah, our type of game. But that's ultimately what it's been. They had a two-month stretch there where they had to really grind it out for every victory, try to keep it low scoring. And then in the middle of January, they turned it on. They started winning those crazy games, 6-3, to 7 nothing, 4-1, to 4-1. to They're going to carry that here in this next stretch. Uh, the Pittsburgh game, 
against many other teams on on most other nights. I'm not going to pretend Casey DeSmith is Andre Vasilevsky, but on most other nights, you're winning that game five to one. But the goalie had a night and that's it, it happens sometimes. I'm not too concerned about it because I think when the Avalanche get healthy, uh, which they're leaning closer to that, it's feeling more like a reality. They're going to have a lot more goals than what they have right now. Feels like my biggest takeaway from today's podcast is just uh, not listening to the people out there that say, oh, well, there's just one guy. One guy is not going to change your hockey team. and One guy is not going to make that big of a difference. Yes, I think that's absolutely false. One guy is going to make a huge difference, especially, you know, we've broken down here and there between, you know, Val and his strengths at forechecking and causing havoc in the neutral zone. Gabe Landeskog being able to cause havoc in the offensive zone and bury pucks around the net. So, um, well, here guy does make a lot of difference. Yeah, yeah. and here, here's the big thing with the avalanche and what we're talking about right now. One guy in Val Nachushkin is going to have this much of an eff- of an effect on the team. One guy in Bowen Byram is going to have this much of an effect on the team. One guy in Gabe Landeskog when he's healthy is going to have this much of an effect. One guy in Josh Manson, one guy, one guy, one guy, one guy. Basically what I'm getting at is it's not one guy. It's like five or six. <laughs> it, it makes me think of the old Power Rangers, right? When they would all get their weapons together and <laughs> turn into one giant weapon. Um, yeah. So that's ultimately what it is. When Val has played 21 of 49 games and Gabe has played 0 of 49 games, that's a total of 98 games where you've gotten a total of 21 games out of Gabe and Val. Those are two huge, crucial pieces that doesn't even, you know, enter, that doesn't even include the fact that Nathan McKinnon has missed 11. That doesn't include the fact that you've had Rodriguez in and out of the lineup. You've had guys like Arturi Lekkinen miss a few games here and there. You've had, thankfully, a healthy, knock on wood, Miko Rantanen. You've had Kale McCarr miss some games. You've had Bowen Byron miss majority of the season. He's only played 11 of 49. So, no, if the entire Avalanche season was fully healthy with Gabe Landeskog on the shelf and they were in this position of the standings, you can't sit there and make the excuse and be like, oh, well, they lost Kadri and Landis Cox missed all year because it's not just one guy that's going to change things. But when you've had one guy and Gabe Landis Cox missed the whole season, plus all these other one guys miss large chunks of it, then yes, it is going to make a difference because it is no longer one guy. It is a group of four or five guys. We are seeing a collective improvement in the team as guys re-enter the lineup as Val's back as Bowen Byram is back when Kale McCarr returned you saw obviously the 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 next step that this team could take you're gonna see Josh Manson re-enter the lineup Brad Hunt come out boom there's another big step you're gonna see Gabe Landeskog eventually come in and I don't know Dennis Malgan come out and you're gonna be like holy shit hey 92 is a hell of a lot better than Malgan yeah no kidding so it's four or five guys that are gonna make a difference for this team not just one uh, the power blaster is what the weapon is called <laughs> when the power that is Rangers, correct. Yeah. Combine all five of their weapons. Um, but yeah, last thing, uh, just the Western conference teams that have less goals per game than the avalanche in order, St. Louis blues, Nashville predators, Arizona coyotes, Chicago Blackhawks, Anaheim ducks, not exactly uh, teams you want to be floating around. And how many, no, no, no. How many of those teams are close to or remotely have a possibility of making the playoffs? Uh, maybe just one. Maybe. Well, no, St. Louis. I think think St. Louis is out of it. They're 23, 25, and three. Like, they're not even hockey 500. (laughs) At least being the one team. Yeah. At least the Nashville Predators are four points back of the Avalanche who are holding on to the last spot right now and obviously are tied with Minnesota for third in in the Central. They don't have the tiebreaker, but Nashville is within reach. St. Louis, I think it's time to hang it up. St. Louis is closer to the bottom than they are to the playoffs. So, uh, 
Well, not necessarily because of Chicago, but you get the point. Also, they're a minus 29 goal differential. That's just brutal. Regardless, none of those guys are anywhere close to the playoffs for a reason. It's because they're not good teams. The Avalanche are close to the playoffs because despite having such a low goals per game, they've only surrendered 135. The National Predators have surrendered 146. The St. Louis Blues, 50 goals more than the Avalanche, 185. So I don't think it's an issue that the Avalanche are where they're at because defensively they're playing well. They found a way to grind out victories. Otherwise, they're 7-2-1 in their last 10. They're getting healthier. They're getting better. Highest goals per game not in the playoffs right now. The Vancouver Canucks at 3.32, good for 11th. They're they're a good offensive team. Bowen uh Bowen Bowen Byram. No, the other guy. Bo Horvat is, you know, before Bowen the trade. Horvat. Bo, Bo Horvat before the trade, 30 plus goals. Elias Pettersson is is well over a point per game. They have a lot of offensive weapons. Andre Kuzmenko, the Russian that they signed out of the KHL, 27 years old, has been excellent. They just can't play defense. They get a lot of soap opera of issues going on all season. So yeah, it's just wild to think how good that team is offensively. The last conversation I wanted to have today, Arif, is Jeff Carter's hit on Kale McCarr. Likely a fine, in my opinion, but definitely a dirty play. Definitely not something you expect to see from a veteran. You think Jeff Carter would be smarter than that. And uh, my biggest thought is, of course, thank goodness Kale McCarr is okay. But what if this hit was on Bowen Byram? Where where would that Ooh, put him? I didn't even think about that. I. <laughs> uh, Irresponsible stuff from Jeff Carter. Very irresponsible. I'm not going to bury him completely, but yes, very irresponsible. You don't want to see that. Hockey's a really fast game, and shit happens in the moment. That is just, it's it's terrible. It's it's a bad hit. It's a terrible play. It's not something you want to see. Uh, I honestly think he's going to get suspended. I think he will get suspended because it was a direct shot to the head from the blind side, and that's like the exact phrasing of a type of a hit that the NHL does not like blind side direct to the head. Um, but yeah, if it was a bow environment, it could have been a lot worse. Thankfully it didn't have a lot of force on it. Not that, you know, I'm downplaying what happened to Kelmacar, but if he comes in with a lot of speed on that kind of a play, then yes, Kelmacar might be knocked out cold. Um, so it is a terrible hit. I think Jeff Carter will get suspended for it. Uh, thankfully kale is okay so far as we've seen hopefully no next day symptoms or or anything like that but like you gotta count your blessings it wasn't bow and byram but this is hockey man there's a risk every time you're out there on the ice and i hope bow is gonna be able to kind of do what Sidney crosby did and just you know be able to move forward from the concussions and have a long career yeah it, exactly a little bit of a chicken wing from jeff carter and it didn't look like that bad of a hit but still kale mccarr pretty shooken up so if imagine if jeff carter maybe got a little bit more mustard on that or a yeah. little bit uh more speed it, it could have been it could have been disastrous so luckily we saw kale mccarr come back into the game same thing with arturi lackadin left the game gave everybody a small heart attack but he he returned so um yeah every time you see somebody walk down that hallway you're you're, yeah. you're holding your breath a little bit right you you pucker up and of course it's two very important guys both at the same time. It's wild. Makar and Lekkanen. Right on. Well, that's all we had for that breakdown of the uh, 2-1 overtime loss in Pittsburgh. All eyes on Tampa Bay right now. And then, of course, heading to Sunrise, heading back to Sunrise for some of these guys. One thing I do want to mention, because we've mentioned his name quite a few times already today, Jared Bender says Gabe Landeskog is expected to start skating sometime middle of February, which is next week. So... We're getting close to that time frame of Gabe Landeskog taking the ice. I mean, how long does it take? If he genuinely is feeling better, 
what is it, what would you say three weeks max between taking the ice shedding the non-contact getting up to speed and playing like by the time you make trade deadline acquisitions you very well could have Gabe Landeskog back at the exact same time assuming nothing goes wrong right Let's not that's the anything. big thing yes assuming nothing goes wrong because we've seen him on the ice once already this year yeah that was before his setback that wasn't a setback a new timeline mm-hmm. pocus pocus bullshit yeah <laughs> Uh, but yeah, that is huge news. Gabe Landeskog taking the ice here in the next few days or so. Yep, yep, indeed. So that's all hockey related. Of course, I wanted to take a quick second to send my condolences to Turkey and Syria. Um, of course, you know, I don't think we have too many listeners out there, but still sucks to see such a tragedy happen in the world, especially um, when they're natural tragedies like this, like an earthquake. So um, just the world we live in and it's it stinks to see and it sucks, sucks to see people suffer across the world when, um, you know, it's it also feels like they're not getting as much help as they deserve. Yeah, it's, it is unfortunate. And the fact that it's a natural disaster, it's like you want to be angry at someone and there's just nobody to be angry at. It's, it, it is what it is, but it is unfortunate. Hopefully they recover from it. And, you know, stuff like this is happening around the world every single day. And all you can do is read about it and, and try to help any way you can as, as hard as it is. Indeed. Indeed. So with that, the Avalanche move ahead. They take the point and move on. So uh, let's see what happens in Tampa Bay and then, of course, uh, the Florida Panthers. So if you made it this far in the podcast, bless that pretty little heart of yours. Let's make hockey for everyone. We got you.